everybody, it's Steve Matthews. Welcome to Radio Looks Lucid, episode 51. The title of today's episode is Stop the COVID Madness. Well, it's been a couple weeks since I've, I've had a program, and I'm sorry for having that little bit of a hiatus there. I had a, had a couple things going on. Had uh, had some, I had a family gathering a couple weeks ago for my, my birthday, so that was exciting, and just didn't have the time to get one out. And then last week, we did the, uh, the big shift to... Uh, to daylight savings time, and you know it was. I normally do these on a Saturday on a Saturday evening, and it just I didn't think there was any way I was going to get that done and be able to get up at all at a decent hour on Sunday morning. So I I decided, well, we'll just uh, just uh, take another week off and, and come back here this week. So um, had some time here today and uh, made it happen. So it's uh, it's great to be back, and I hope to to get on another run here and uh, at least get out one one podcast every week. And uh, thanks for joining me. For everybody who's uh, watching this uh, this live as well, I'm uh, live on Twitter as well as on uh, on DLive. And what else am I? I'm live on something else. Anyway, it'll come to me. Let's see, how do I have this thing set up? So, uh, oh, uh, YouTube. <laughs> Can't forget YouTube. See, I'm live on YouTube. So if anybody's watching on YouTube, uh, welcome. It's great to have you on the program here today. Anyway, so another week here went by. Well, I guess another couple of weeks since I've I've done a program. It's it's been nice. It's been getting more and more spring like every day. I did have a chance to go out and uh, get a little bike riding in again today. That was was always really nice. And uh, you know the thing is, I've never been much of a winter person. You know, I've I've lived in a climate where we get winter, but you know, I'm I'm always kind of glad to see it go. And you know, having a, a March birthday as I do, it's always nice to. I, I kind of think of uh, the coming of spring. It's a little bit like uh, like a birthday present. So so that that's uh, that, that's a nice thing about March. You can start seeing uh, seeing spring here. And you know, a lot of people they always they you get a lot of complaints about daylight savings time. I. I actually, I'm kind of a weird person. I kind of like daylight savings time. I mean, I like the fact that it stays light late at night. You know, I get a chance on uh, on Fridays. Now I can go back and, and take a walk. Uh, there's a park here close to me. I can take a walk at on uh, on Fridays after after work and you know after having some dinner and that. That's uh, it's nice to have that extra extra hour to be able to do something in the evening. So anyway, it, it does though. I have to say, daylight savings time it takes a little bit of getting used to. You know, I, I find that 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 whole fallback thing in the fall that's pretty easy for me to get used to. But when I get into to daylight savings time, you know, it, it always takes me about a week or so. I think for my body to just get adjusted to to when things are happening because things just don't seem right. And it seems like I always have a hard time getting to sleep the first uh, couple nights of daylight savings time because my body just doesn't want to shut down. Anyway, kind of funny like that. I guess another thing about uh, about March that I always kind of appreciate, of course, is it it starts getting it starts getting close to baseball season. Now, I, I I've been a, a huge Reds fan my whole life, and and I guess that started back in the seventies when I was growing up watching the the big red machine, as the Reds were known back then, and and I and I still am. Although I, I have to say, I've I've really kind of cooled on professional sports and and sports in general, especially over the past year with all of the uh, the politics and that that have been injected into uh, into sports and it really doesn't make me want to uh, follow them that closely I, I don't know maybe maybe that'll calm down here uh, a little bit this year and in the years ahead I don't know but you know right now it's it's still hard for me to get uh, 
to get as excited as I normally would be. And of course, you can't go really down to the stadium either because they've got all the COVID restrictions. And we're going to start talking about that here in, in just a minute, uh, kind of that by way of introducing the main topic of the program. I mentioned the, the COVID restrictions to being able to, to say, go see a, a baseball game or a basketball game or something like that in person. It's very frustrating. Um, you know, it worked this week. We celebrated, and I, I don't know if that's the right word to say we celebrated. I, it's, I, I guess that, that was the way it was presented to us. I don't know, maybe commemorated might be a, a better term. I, I don't know. But anyway, we celebrated the one-year anniversary of, um, of, doing, of working from home. Because it was a week ago, it was a year ago this past week that they closed down our office. And they said, everybody, go from home. You can go home. You're going to be working from home. And, uh, and uh, we'll let you know when you're, you're going to be coming back. Uh, and I have to admit, I never thought that, you know, when they, they booted us out of the office that day, that, that here I'd be sitting a year later and still working from home. I didn't expect that. You know, I thought maybe a couple weeks, you know, there was all, there was all that talk, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve or, or some such thing that was going around last year. And I thought, well, okay, maybe be a couple, three weeks or so and, and we'll be back in the office. Well, as I said, here we are a year later and, and we're still working from home. Now I have to admit it hasn't been exactly a, a huge burden for me. Um, my job translates very well into a work from home situation. There's, there's nothing, literally nothing that, that I could do at the office that I, I can't do at home with maybe, I guess with one exception, I can't go over to somebody's desk, you know, and, and sometimes that, that can be nice. You know, if you have a question, maybe you get some unusual kind of circumstance and, and you want to go talk to a colleague and say, Hey, have you, you know, you ever seen this before? Have you ever dealt with this? Could you give me a little bit of help? And sometimes it's nice to be able to sit down and talk to somebody in person, you know, maybe show them a screen printout or, or look at a screen together, that type of thing. And that's, that's one thing that's a little bit harder when you're, you're working from home, although you, we do have programs now we can share screens and that. So it's, you know, even, even that isn't quite as much of a burden, but you know, sometimes it is nice to be able to talk to people in, in person, um, as opposed to just having to, to do everything over, uh, over a screen or over a phone or, uh, you know, or a team chat or something like that. But yeah, we did celebrate our, our one year of, uh, of working from home. So it's, it's hard to believe this whole COVID thing has been, been going on for a year. You know, in my case, you know, I've, I've been blessed enough that, as I said, my job translates very well into work from home. And, and I have to say from my standpoint overall, I, I really didn't miss a beat. You know, I mean, left the office one day, came in the office and, you know, came, started the work from home stuff the next day. And, and it was all, it was a pretty smooth transition. You know, I've done some things over the past year to kind of improve my setup and uh, because I didn't think I was going to be here all that long. So I had things kind of temporary. And, and after I realized, OK, we're going to be here for a while. Well, then I, I started to do some fix up and, and improvement. Uh, got a got a different screen, got a bigger screen. So I've got a nice big screen here that I can work off of when I'm when I'm at work. And I've got uh, lots of different uh, programs and things open. And I've I improved my setup. And, and like I say, it's a little bit more permanent, a little bit nicer, looks a little nicer, Things are in a, a little better position for me to be able to use them. Um, so, I mean, that, that has developed and evolved over the past year. Um, well, I wanted to get in and I wanted to talk a little bit about COVID because, you know, not everybody has, has had, had his experience uh, has been as good as what mine has been with, with work from home. I mean, some people have uh, had their hours cut. Some people have lost their jobs entirely. 
Many people who are you know, small business owners, there's tens of thousands of small businesses that have apparently permanently closed down. Um, job losses have been terrible. I mean, I know this last week they had another horrible initial uh, jobless claims. That always comes out on a Thursday. And it was, it was once again, it was well over 700,000 people lost their jobs uh, the prior week. And it was, it was reported this past Thursday. And, you know, that's, that's a terrible thing. And people have, have gone through this. And, um, you know, it was interesting. I, I posted sort of the inspiration for today's uh, podcast as I had posted something on Facebook. Uh, it was a, an article by, by Ron Paul, Cong- former Congressman Ron Paul. One of my great heroes. He's he's maybe the only politician I can think of that I, I would say is is a hero to me, or at least uh, somebody recently. Anyway, I I uh, have uh, loved and admired uh, Ron Paul's work for for many many years, and that's uh, you know he he's been one of the few beacons of of hope in uh, in this whole COVID thing, and it's uh, it, it's been a, a great pleasure to be able to to read him and to to listen to him uh, his his liberty minded approach to how you you deal with COVID, and and I and I agree agree fully with him. But uh, I posted this this article on, on my Facebook page the other day, and I had uh, a friend respond. This is uh, Tim Kaufman. Now, some of you, if, if you're watching this, or I should say listening to this through uh, Thorn Crown Ministries, you're probably familiar with Tim Kaufman's work, because he does podcasting and that on uh, on the uh, on Thorn Crown Ministries. He posts his podcast out there. He also has his uh, has a, uh, a, uh, a blog himself, and uh, it's called uh, Out of His Mouth. And the, uh, that's a blog that he does. It's on, uh, it's a, he, he deals with, uh, mostly with eschatology, uh, or at least a good deal of what he, he, uh, writes on is eschatology. And he'll put some pieces out there every now and then. He's, he's a, Tim is a, a brilliant scholar and, and he's someone that, uh, it's very interesting. You know, he was raised Roman Catholic and when he, in his early twenties, when he moved, when he he started working uh, as an engineer, and he he is an engineer, he's a rocket scientist actually. Uh, he does uh, does engineering. I, I believe I believe he is a contract employee. I think the firm he works for is a is a is a contractor for NASA. So yeah, so he's our our scripturalist rocket scientist. So see, I guess sometimes it takes a rocket scientist to to be able to figure out uh, revelation. But uh, Tim is is a as I said, he's a very brilliant scholar, and uh, he's a good brother in Christ. And when I posted this this piece by Ron Paul out there, he wrote me a, a fairly lengthy comment on this talking about a recent experience that he had uh, at a at a Starbucks of all places. And, and I wanted to go ahead and just read through this. I I asked him if I if he'd give me permission to, to use that. And he said, "Yeah, you can go ahead and use my name too." So so I'm not uh, so uh, so Tim, thanks so much for uh, for allowing me to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and and read Tim's comments. And once I do that, I I'm, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to turn to the article by Ron Paul where he talks about the uh, the covid. And we'll we'll break down some of Ron, Ron Paul's comments as well. But here's here's Tim Kaufman to get us started. So quote This is where the government response to COVID has gotten us. Last night, my friends visited Starbucks in South Beach. At the door, they were handed a mask to comply with with the government mandate. This morning, I went to Starbucks anticipating the same warm welcome. When I entered, no mask was offered, but I thought I would just wait in line until the matter presented itself and I would accept a mask if offered. There were 40 people inside the store, either in line or waiting to order or waiting for mobile pickup. 
There were six more staff behind the counter. After completing my order at the register, the manager approached me and asked me to wear a mask. I responded that I had been told that Starbucks was handling them out, handing them out for free. She would hear none of it. She began to berate me in front of the other customers for standing in line for 30 minutes without a mask. And again, I told her that I understood Starbucks was handing out masks to its customers as my friends had experienced the night before. She became agitated and asked me to leave. On the way out the door, I noticed that the maximum occupancy for this Starbucks during COVID is just is 10. Just 10. But there were 40 people inside the Starbucks at the time I was asked to leave because I was not wearing a mask. When I went outside to wait for my order, my wife handed me her mask so that I would be in compliance when my order was ready. My son was still inside at the time. The manager then pointed to me, uh, to me through the window and said to the rest of the customers, See that man? He's mocking us. He refuses to wear a mask inside the building, and now he's wearing one outside the building. My son and daughter inside the store at the time, and my son said, that's my dad. The lady next to my son in line politely informed him that his father was teaching his daughter bad ideals. The manager then informed my son that he needed to go outside and beat his dad for violating the rules. Yes, that's true. In a Starbucks with maximum capacity of 10, with 40 customers plus staff, the manager incited violence against me, and the other customers who were actually in violation of the maximum occupancy were trying to tell my son that I taught my daughter bad ideals and values. And all he had done was go to Starbucks because I heard that they were nice and would give me a free mask. <laughs> well, I guess Starbucks isn't as, as nice as what, uh, what, what Tim thought, and is in fact, uh, Tim, uh, he, he made a second comment to me on that, uh, on that particular, uh, post. And he said, well, he said, I, I guess you can take the, uh, take the Starbucks out of Seattle, but you can't take the Seattle out of Starbucks. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's probably a pretty good way of putting that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's really kind of a, kind of a sad situation. I mean, we've become, uh, a great deal more and more like, uh, I don't know, kind of more like East Germany all the time, it seems like. And you read about some, some really terrible things like this happening to, uh, to people, uh, who have, you know, somewhat been, you know, maybe caught up a little bit innocently in, in not having a mask. You know, you, you get people shrieking at them or, or what. Maybe you've seen some videos of that kind of thing on, uh, Oh, and you see stuff like that out there on Twitter or, or what have you. But that was, that was Tim's experience at Starbucks. And so what I thought I'd do is I wanted to go ahead and share with you the article that sort of, I guess, inspired him to talk about this. This was a, a piece that was written by Ron Paul. It appeared, uh, it was on the Ron Paul Institute on uh, Monday, March 15th. And this was right after, this was a few days after, uh, Joe Biden had given a, uh, uh, a national address uh, on uh, on COVID. You remember that he did that, I think it was about uh, a week and a half back or so. And it was a big deal because it was his first overall, uh, overall, uh, oh, uh, I, I guess national address. So anyway, let's, uh, let's take a look here. So here, here's the, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and see if I can do this here. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Bring that in. So here's the article. Is Biden holding America hostage until Independence Day? So what if we click that? Does that make it any bigger? No, I guess that doesn't really change anything. Okay. All right. So uh, is uh, Biden holding America hostage until Independence Day? And let's just read through it. I thought I'd read through some of this and maybe uh, just kind of break it down a bit here for you. So to start with here, 
quote, last week, President Biden addressed the nation on the first anniversary of the coronavirus being declared a pandemic. It was a disturbing speech, warning us that the hopeful spring will only emerge from a dark winter if all Americans stick with the rules. Whose rules? His rules. The message from the president was clear. He will only allow us to have some of our freedoms back if we do exactly as he tells us. It was the language of extortion, of a bank robber who demands you do what he says or face the consequences. It was not the language of someone we are told is the leader of the free world. In the speech, Biden laid out a list of what uh, was taken from us over the past year. Weddings, birthdays, graduations, family reunions, the Sunday night rituals. It was as if somehow the virus, instead of authoritarian government officials, prevented us from enjoying these normal human activities. And I want to especially focus on that last sentence there where Ron Paul writes, it was as if somehow the virus, instead of authoritarian government officials, prevented us from enjoying these normal human activities. Now, and I'm glad that he said what he said in the way that he said it. And, and the reason why is because so oftentimes, in fact, I would say this is one of the leading bits of propaganda regarding this whole COVID lockdown thing that we're, we've been dealing with now for a year, is to talk about, oh, you know, because of the, the virus pandemic, there's all these people who have been laid off of work or due to the fire, you know, due to the virus, um, you know, such and such, a you know, such and such a thing has happened, you know, to say people losing their jobs or businesses being closed or, you know, you know, the decline in economic activity is, is being blamed on the virus. Well, the virus had nothing to do with layoffs. You know, COVID is a virus. It had, COVID has never laid off a single employee. COVID has never thrown a single person in jail. Clovis, uh, 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 COVID has never um, caused a business to go out of business. What's caused all of these things? What's caused all this disruption? What's caused the the seven hundred some thousand job losses that uh, were recorded this past week, or all of the other difficulties and and mask mandates and social distancing? All of this stuff is not caused by COVID. It's caused by authoritarian, overzealous government officials. It's arrogant politicians and maybe politicians with ulterior motives, even who've ignored the Bible. Uh, they've ignored the Constitution. Uh, they've ignored science uh, in imposing lockdowns, mask mandates, social distancing, contract tracing, etc. You know, I was just watching something today where they were having massive demonstrations in Europe, and and they had a, a great big one in uh, in London, and they, I saw some some video of that, and it actually was a peaceful protest. They were just. You know, ordinary Britons were going through the walking through the streets of London. I think it was in the Hyde Park neighborhood of London, and they they were uh, they were just they were chanting, talking about end the lockdowns, and they had every right to do what they were doing. And there were some people. It's interesting to watch this on Twitter. There were some people that were were just horrified by all of this. But these people want their freedom back. They want their lives back. We all want our lives back. You know, and and one of the things that. In, in some ways, I, I think uh, some of the Europeans, whether in, in Great Britain or or uh, in uh, the Netherlands or in Germany, some of these places, they've done a better job protesting in a lot of ways than have the Americans. And I, I think maybe some of that it goes to I, I think the lockdowns have probably been more severe in in some of these countries. I know uh, from what I've read about in in Great Britain that it's 
essentially, people are uh, are under house arrest and have been for months. In fact, probably for most of the past year. I mean, at least where I live. I mean, I live in Ohio, and our our COVID lockdowns haven't been great. You know, our governor has certainly not been great on this this subject uh, of COVID. But but he hasn't been as bad as some have. I mean, for instance, he's been definitely better than say Gretchen Whitmer up in uh, up in Michigan. I mean, for the most part, life has been fairly normal here. As I said, the the businesses they they sent us all home because of uh, you know a year ago, and and we could go back to the office now, but we'd have to go back, and you'd have to have you know wear a mask every time you get up out of your seat, and you have to have your temperature taken every day. And they made the decision that probably that since things were working pretty well for us, that we could just go ahead and work from home. And I, I think that that was the the wisest decision to make. I'm glad it's the decision that they did make. Um, most of the restaurants, you know, the restaurants are still open. Like when you go into a restaurant, you have to wear a mask while you're walking to your table. Bunch of down, sit down at your table. You don't have to wear a mask. Um, it, it's all very silly and, and it should all be just removed. As I said, um, it's also not as bad as California. Uh, I remember they put that thing where they, there was that, uh, requirement. Uh, it was even a, uh, Oh, it was like a, a flyer that the the state government gave out, and it showed people saying, "Well, when you're sitting at your table, you have to put your mask on in between bites." You know, and it showed somebody pulling a mask down, uh, putting a forkful in, and and then putting the mask back up. I mean, it's just just absurd things like this. And um, you know, Gavin Newsom, I guess they've collected enough signatures to remove him, and I hope they do. And I hope the people of California kick him out of office. I've never seen anybody who I thought deserved to be kicked out more. Uh, than he did, uh, except maybe uh, maybe Andrew Cuomo. I don't know. Maybe you could, or, <laughs> or Gretchen Whitmore. Or I, I don't know. Maybe there's a few others that have been pretty awful out there as well. But yeah, these people definitely deserve to be removed from power. And it's it is it, it's the government that has done all of these things. It's not the virus. You know, COVID does not make you wear a mask. COVID does not uh, force you to you know, does not su- shut down the churches. The COVID does none of those things. This is all done by politicians. And I think it's absolutely important to remember this because when you read articles in the mainstream media, and you see this all the time, in fact, you may want to challenge yourself and just see if, uh, see if you can, uh, can spot the headlines that, that promote this idea, the whole idea that it's COVID somehow it's done all this stuff. COVID has done none of these things. It's the government. Keep that in mind. But uh, let's continue here with uh, with Ron Paul's column. It says, though we continue to see COVID disappear across the country with the end of the winter season, Biden was not about to let go of his perceived power to control our lives. He said, if we do all this, if we do all part, if we do this together, by July 4th, there's a good chance you, your families and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout or a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. That doesn't mean large events with lots of people together, but it doesn't mean small groups will be able to get together. Imagine our fathers uh, our fathers hearing this speech. The U.S. president might, just might, allow small family gatherings at home in four months if we follow all of his rules. King George looked benevolent by comparison. His representative Thomas Massey tweeted shortly after the speech, if you're waiting for permission from the chief executive to celebrate Independence Day with your family, you clearly don't have a grasp on the concept of independence. <laughs> I like that. And uh, by the way, Thomas Massey, um, <clears throat> just a second here. 
Thomas Massey is a, a representative uh, from Kentucky, from northern Kentucky, and uh, pretty close to, to where I live, even though I'm in Ohio. I, I like to kind of claim him because I think he's, without a question, one of the finest members of Congress. And in fact, you might even say he's, he's maybe the, uh, the present-day Ron Paul. He's sort of taken up uh, Ron Paul's mantle in the uh, in the house of representatives as a defender of freedom and and uh, thomas massey is absolutely correct you know and i want to just say to biden you know what part of independence day does this man not understand you know there's nothing in the constitution that says the constitution is suspended because of a virus there's nothing in the constitution that says oh well you know the the president can 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 out of the goodness of his heart tell you oh yeah you can go home and and you well you know don't get carried away you don't have to, you don't do anything wild on July 4th but but you know if if you follow all the rules and you mask up and you get vaxxed and you do all of the stuff that that we tell you to do well you you just might get a little smidgen of your freedom back well nonsense that is absolute nonsense we have the right to get together on Independence Day or any other day we want to and have a barbecue. And the President of the United States has zero constitutional authority to say we can't do that. That's what Independence Day is all about. You know, it's having, one of the things is having a government of limited powers. There is no uh, prescription in the Constitution anywhere that gives the President or anybody in the federal government the uh, the ability to shut down your ability to uh, to simply uh, peaceably assemble. In fact, the the Constitution prohibits state governments from doing this. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think you can make a very good case that all of these lockdown mandates, including the ones by our Governor DeWine here in Ohio, are unconstitutional. You know, one of the things with the uh, if you look at this from a biblical perspective. Um, you know, the founding fathers believe that our rights come from God. And it's not, you know, our, our rights don't come from the government. Our rights come from God. And it's the government's job to protect those liberties, to protect those rights. You know, that was the teaching of the Protestant Reformation. You know, the civil magistrate's job was to punish those who practice evil. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about this in, uh, in uh, Romans 13. He says that the civil magistrate is God's minister. And it's his job, you know, he bears the sword to punish those who practice evil. You know, that is, if somebody wants to rob you or to kill you or, you know, to engage in some kind of, of uh, other uh, untoward, illegal activity, that it's the job of the civil magistrate to put a stop to that. But it's not the job of the civil magistrate to, to tell you whether or not you can get together and have a barbecue in your, in your backyard. Now, you know, there are some people who are very, very concerned uh, about COVID. And, you know, if somebody is super concerned about it and really concerned, you know, uh, is very much afraid of being contaminated with somebody, well, they, they can always just not go to backyard barbecues. Nobody says you have to have a backyard barbecue. But if you want to do that, if you assess that situation and say, you know, I think it makes perfect sense, let's go ahead and do this. There's nothing in, there's nothing that the government had, there's no basis for the government to rightfully put a stop to that. But yet Biden acts as though somehow, you know, he is the arbiter of, of whether or not you can have a backyard barbecue. And, and he'll grant you a little bit of your freedom back if you do what he tells you to do, if you follow his, his extortion. Uh, the Constitution is not voided by a virus. You know, 
Joe Biden and others like him, they, they're just like, you think about what Jesus said. You remember where there's that, that uh, account in the New Testament where it talks about the, the disciples are arguing with one another, you know, who's the greatest? And, and Jesus rebukes them. And he's, you know, he talks about the rulers of the Gentiles. You know, and Biden and others like him are just like the rulers of the Gentiles. What, what did Jesus say about the rulers of the Gentiles? On the one hand, they lorded over people. You know, so, so they love to, to ride herd on them. They love to, to oppress people. You know, they, they, they lord their authority over people. But then there's something else that he said about these very same people who lorded over, uh, lorded over their populations. Um, they like to call themselves, they like to be called benefactors. So they like to, to rule with a rod of iron, but they want to, they, they want people to, to call them. They, they want to be thought of as, as, uh, these, these people who are, are doing all these good works for everybody. Look at all the great stuff that I've done. You know, hey, I made the trains run on time. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know, bundled people off to, to prison camps and, you know, locked people in their homes on us. But hey, the trains are running on time. Therefore, I'm, I'm this great benefactor of the nation and, and I deserve your praise. Uh, that seems to be the kind of mindset, and that seems to be the the kind of mindset that Joe Biden has. You know, he he wants to sit here and lock people down and and slap masks on people and and uh, and vaccinate people and all of this other stuff, and then he wants to be praised because because he gives people like a little tiny bit of their freedom, as though somehow this is a great thing. You know, it's ridiculous. It's preposterous. Um, Ron Paul continues here. He says, as usual, the goalposts keep being moved because politicians cannot bear the possibility that they might have to give up some of the power over us they've grabbed for themselves. Fauci made the usual mainstream media rounds over the weekend and was asked by the fawning host when Americans might have permission to hold weddings again. So now Americans need Fauci's permission to get married? What is happening to this country? The propaganda is so relentless that it seems most Americans don't see how not normal this is. In saner times, Fauci would be laughed off the stage. Now he's treated as some sort of divine source of truth. Yeah, I mean, he's treated, you know, it's almost like, you know, the prophet Elijah or something like this. You know, people sit around and they, oh, oh, Master Fauci, please tell us, you know, what must we do? You know, it's, it's nonsense. I mean, what authority does, does, does Anthony Fauci have to tell anybody whether or not they can, can get married or, or have a barbecue or have a family get together or have a graduation party or any such thing? He has zero authority for this. What, 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 was he ever elected to anything? Did you ever vote for Anthony Fauci? Does Anthony Fauci represent you in Congress? I don't think he does. Yeah, you know, what you're seeing with Anthony Fauci, the, the term for this from a, uh, the political term for this is technocracy. And according to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, technocracy is government by technicians, specifically management of society by technical experts, or maybe even call it so-called technical experts. I mean, you know, Anthony Fauci has been all over the place. You know, you've probably seen some film, uh, some video. There was a, a thing where Anthony Fauci he went on. Uh, oh my gosh, I think it was I think it was sixty minutes about a year ago, and he was on there. And he was telling people, "Don't wear a mask. You know, masks do not do you any good." I'm paraphrasing, but that, that's what he said. And the Surgeon General, I can't think of the the fellow's name right now, but the Surgeon General of the United States at the time, he was saying exactly the same thing. You know, don't wear a mask. You know, it doesn't do you any good. And he says it might make people feel better, but it doesn't do you any good. And of course, that was very sensible advice. But then somehow along the line, all of that changed. You know, and then we went from don't wear a mask to you got to wear a mask. And if you don't wear a mask, you know, terrible things are going to happen to you. 
And that's the way it is. It still is here in Ohio. I mean, if you go into any Ohio business, uh, you're required to wear a mask, or at least in, in the certain places in Ohio. Um, I don't know. They've got some color coded thingamabob, where you know supposedly you know the, the the COVID frequency rate is such and such, and and if the COVID frequency rate is such and such, then then all the businesses in these counties have to have to. Uh, require people to wear a mask. And I, I happen to live in an area that, that's like that. It's in the Cincinnati area. And, you know, and again, this has been going on. They made those mandatory, I don't know, it was sometime last summer, I want to say maybe June or July. And I mean, again, here we are, we're going on the better part of a year with this. And there's no, you know, I have no idea when this is going to end. No idea. Um, you know, there doesn't seem to be any indication from the governor that it's going to be anytime soon. Um, and Ron Paul closes his comments here. He says, uh, Biden promised that he was using every power as president of the United States to put us on war footing. Of that, I have no doubt. But Biden's war is not against the virus. It's against the U.S. Constitution and liberty itself. And that's the end of, of Ron Paul's column. And, and, and I think that's he, he does a very nice job in this column just uh, summarizing the issue, summarizing the arrogance that you see out of the politicians. Yeah, and the fact, and one of the things that's so frustrating, and this is something that he you mentioned a few paragraphs back, Ron Paul did, is that they keep moving the goalposts because they don't want to go, they don't want to let go of their power. You know, there was a story I think it was out this past week on COVID where they were talking about the CDC had come out with some guidelines saying, well, you know, with with schools, says the CDC, you know, this whole thing with schools, well, we don't need to do the six the six feet social distance anymore. If we just move it down to three, that that'll, that'll suffice. Yeah, these people are just making this stuff up. They made up six feet. Now all of a sudden, for some reason, six feet's not. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, should have brought more to drink up here. He's got a little bit of coffee left. So all of a sudden, now six feet is uh, <clears throat> is no longer uh, necessary. We're down to three feet. Well, why? I mean, if six feet was necessary, what's changed? You know, I, I think what it is is the feeling, the political heat. That's what's changed, and the uh, you know, so so they're trying to they're trying to slowly back off. We can give you a little bit of your freedom back. No, no, we need to just. It's getting to the point, and and I have have thought about this for a long time. It has gotten to the point where I think civil disobedience is necessary. Uh, just because these governors, these the CDC people, the you know the the people that that make the decisions, they will not listen. They just won't listen, uh, and it's it's gotten to the point where I think you know peaceful protest is uh, is is really called for. And you know we're going to have to simply just stop obeying uh these these mandates whether it's from governors or or the CDC or or some of these other uh these other organizations we're just going to have to say no we're not going to do it uh it's it's just gotten to the point where it's ridiculous well i wanted to close here with a few thoughts too um, you know, one of the big takeaways from the, the COVID disaster over the past year is that it's exposed for all to see just how far America and the West uh, have fallen from a biblical understanding of government. You know, the idea of limited government, it's one of the implications of Christianity. You know, you know Jesus said, you know, if the, the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. You know, that is the basis of liberty. It's faith in Jesus Christ. You know, it's not an accident that 
the idea of uh, of limited government, of a free society, of the rule of law, that these things grew up. They became a reality in the uh, in the nations that uh, in which the the Protestant Reformation came. That's where you saw the rise of liberty. That's where you saw the rise of of political liberty, of economic liberty, the growth of prosperity. Uh, th- it was not an accident that these things that these things followed on on the Reformation, and yet we we very often, even as Protestants, we don't very often talk about the biblical roots of our liberty. I wanted to read something here to you. This is actually from a, a little booklet that was written by John Robbins called Christ and Civilization. You can get this from the Trinity Foundation, and uh, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a really nice read. It's a little, like I say, it's it's really a booklet. It's about uh, about sixty pages or so. You can sit down and read through this thing in a single sitting. But I think when you do, uh, and I really do encourage you to read it, read the whole book, you're going to come away with a much greater appreciation for just how um, for how fundamental the Protestant Reformation is to the freedoms that we in America or or in other nations of the West enjoy. And uh, I mean, I think you could put it simply, maybe put it this way: you know, no Protestant Reformation, there's no United States of America. It's that it's that simple, but here's what John Robbins wrote about um, about the the effects that uh, the Reformation had on on government. Let me just this is a, a paragraph or two here. I'll just read this for you. The revolution first accomplished in the churches could not be confined to them, but quickly spread to civil governments. Not only was there a reduction in the power of the churches and Protestant societies, but a reduction in the size and scope of civil government as well. For example. Stephen Osmond reports that when the Reformation was consolidated in Rostock in 1534, it brought not only an end to the privileges of the clergy, but also government agreement uh, of the clergy, but also government agreement to reduce its own numbers by about one third and to submit to a detailed annual accounting. Carl Hull, professor of church history at the University of Berlin, 1906 to 1926, wrote. It was the Reformation that first set a rigid, li- a rigid limit to the absolute power of the state. So there you go. Uh, and he even continues here. He says, uh, this is John Robbins. He says, the individual for the first time in human history was widely recognized as the direct creation of God, as the image of God, and as, and as the redeemed of God. The discovery of the doctrine of justification elevated the independence of the individual, wrote Hall. It was the individual person, the human soul, who was freed from pagan and papal tyranny by the Christian Reformation, and from that freedom arose a free, humane, and civilized society, end quote. So I think that really just goes to to underscore the importance uh, of the Reformation. The Reformation took took place first in the churches, and then it spread to civil government. It was a change of thinking. And one of the things, too, that you will read in John Robbins and, and Gordon Clark as well is you, you know, over the past several decades, really over the past century plus, we've seen a continued growth in government and a shrinkage of individual freedom. So we've kind of been running the Reformation, the whole politi- political revolution that followed the Reformation. We're kind of running that in reverse, where back in the 1500s, you had government shrinking, individual liberty growing. Now we have government growing and individual liberty shrinking. And it's 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 the same cause in, in, in both cases. It, it's the relative health of Christianity. In the, at the time of the Reformation, you had this explosion of understanding of the Bible. 
The growth of Christianity was widely preached and believed, specifically the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And that simply means that we're, you know, how, how is, how is a sin, how is a sinful man, how does a sinful man become, uh, come into a right standing with God? Well, according to the Bible, according to what was taught by the Reformation, it's faith in Christ alone. It's not by our own works. It's not by some combination of faith, uh, and, uh, in, in our own works. It's faith in Christ alone. Our, our works contribute nothing to our salvation. It's faith in Christ alone. And we come to him, you know, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. That's, that's the old, uh, uh, the old hymn, uh, Augustus Toplady, uh, wrote that. And that, that idea of justification by faith alone, it, it, it freed an entire civilization from the tyranny of, of, uh, of trying to save themselves through, through works which can never save anyone. But it did so much more than that. I mean, it wasn't just that. I mean, Christianity, yes, that's, you know, the idea of justification is central to Christianity. Uh, justification by faith alone is central to Christianity. But it's, it's so much more than that. It, it's not less than that. It's, it's more than that. And, and when, when you had a large numbers of people coming to believe and to understand uh, the the doctrines of uh, of justification. Uh, they also came to believe and to preach the the whole counsel of God. You know, and the, and the the Bible gives us a complete system of of thought, uh, both in politics and in economics. And the Bible everywhere promotes limited government, uh, limited government republic uh, for for a, a political philosophy. And in terms of economics, it's all about. Um, it's all about uh, uh, about free market economics. It's all about laissez-faire or you know, what they would just call capitalism. Uh, John Robbins used a term he called it. He called the complex of limited government and and uh, and uh, and capitalism. He called it constitutional capitalism, and that's the economic and political system of the Bible. And as people, as I said, people when, when they learned when they came to Christ in faith, uh, not only did he did he save them uh, spiritually. Not only did he free them spiritually, but they also freed politically and economically as well. It's an amazing story, and I love reading about the Reformation because you really just see see the the light of the gospel coming in the world in an incredible uh, in an amazing way, and it literally transformed society. It created a whole new civilization. And that, that's what John Robbins said right there in that that passage I read you from Christ and Civilization, and and what's been happening here in our own time is Christianity has been disappearing. And so, therefore, the civilization that Christianity built is also disappearing, and it's being replaced by something that is uh, much more akin to the kind of feudalism that uh, that we left behind. In fact, I just found a book tonight. I haven't read it, but I, I did uh, did buy it. Uh, it's a book. It's, it's called the. Uh, I don't remember the exact title of it, but it's basically it's called like the return of feudalism or or neo feudalism. It's called, and it's about the rise, the recurrence of this sort of feudal structure that that dominated Europe in the Middle Ages is now coming back, and there's a reason for that because it's it's Christianity that put an end to that system, and it's the the disappearance of Christianity that's leading to the the uh, the recurrence of that system. You know, that's what we're dealing with. And you can see that one of the examples uh, of uh, of that recurrence of feudalism is uh, is the way governments have been handling COVID. And it's it's been a disaster for liberty. 
Um, that's about all that I had this week. So I wanted to just say thanks to everybody for, uh, for watching uh, and, and for listening. I do appreciate that. And I wish you all a, a very blessed Lord's Day tomorrow. And uh, God willing, we'll pick this up again next week. Thanks so much. Have a good evening. Goodbye.